0: Some baptisms this morning, and that's a very exciting thing for us to do. And just to, just so everybody in the house knows what baptism is, baptism is an outward expression that Jesus Christ is living inside of someone. Nobody gets saved by being baptized. We're saved, and so we're baptized. Jesus Christ is invited into our lives as Savior and Lord, and He's living large. And He's changing all the price tags, isn't He? And He's bringing life. And so we want to celebrate that, and we want to announce it to the world. And one of the ways that we do that is through this amazing thing that we call baptism. In uh, Romans chapter 6, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? interesting question so since by the grace of God our sins are forgiven should we sin harder so that we can experience more grace and he says by no means we died to sin how can we live in it any longer I don't want to sin anymore do you I want to live a life with Jesus I I want to be set free from the things that are killing me don't you And he says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So that the symbolism of baptism is that when we go down into the water, we're identifying fully with the death of Jesus, Jesus who died on a cross for us. He shed his blood for us. He completely gave his life for us. And we identify with that and we go down into the water and we identify with him in his death. We were therefore buried with him, the Bible says, through baptism into death in order that, catch this, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus didn't stay dead. Hey, it's Palm Sunday, but Easter's coming. And Next week there will be a glorious celebration of the resurrection of Jesus here. The Bible says if we've been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. And so when these believers come up out of the water, they're celebrating the deep knowledge inside of them that though they are sinners, though they are sinners and we're all the same, that by by trusting in Christ and His death and His shed blood, that all of their sins are forgiven and when they come back, bursting up out of the water, they're celebrating the knowledge, not the hope, but the knowledge that one day they'll be raised from the dead. And this is the truth of the gospel. And this is the core of the Christian experience, is to know Jesus in this way. And so we're going to celebrate these baptisms. If you've never been to a baptism here before, uh, it may just surprise you a little bit, that's all. This is a big day for us. And it's a big day for these people in this service and those in the next who will experience baptism. I've met with these individuals. I've looked each one of them square in the eye. And I've asked them, have you received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life? And every one of them has personally answered back to me, yes, I have. So I commend these believers to you as those who are completely and fully trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives and ready for baptism. Go ahead and be seated. Well, in uh, February of 2007, Jeff Foxworthy rolled out a game show which stunned the nation. It's called Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? The premise of the game show is for a single contestant to compete for a million dollars by answering questions which are supposedly commonly known by fifth-graders. And the contestant is helped by a small panel of actual fifth-graders who seem to be, you know, they seem to have been kind of plucked from the gifted program, don't you think? Have you seen the show? The few times that I've caught the show, I've, I've been amazed, I guess, at either how much I've forgotten since the fifth grade... Or how much 5th grade must have changed since I was in it with the very mean Mr. Holland in the Anadia Way Elementary School in Canoga Park, California in 1965. Because the few times that I've seen the show, I've come away pretty disappointed in myself. I don't know about you all. I thought it might be fun to roll out a few questions this morning just to see how we did. Here's a question uh, from, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Japan is in which ocean? Maybe you should be more specific. (laughs) Answer is, there we go. You feel good. (laughs) Hold on to that. Here's another one from the show. What does rain provide for photosynthesis? Sorry, it's wrong. It's wrong. Thank you for playing. There are only two options left. Not oxygen. I'm sorry. It releases oxygen. That's how why we get to breathe. There's only one left, right? <laughs> Answer is hydrogen. See, it splits the hydrogen from the oxygen and uses the hydrogen and releases oxygen so we can breathe. Number three, which of the following is not a brass instrument? Saxophone? Saxophone? Looks brass to me. No? Answer is... What? <laughs> Just messing with you there. April Fools. Yeah, not bad, huh? What is another word for a baby hippopotamus? Yeah. Big? Who said big? Yeah. Answer is? Uh, Last one this is your last chance. If you haven't got any right so far, what did the people who opposed the 1867 purchase of Alaska call it? Wow! <laughs> How did you guys know that so fast? I mean, you said that better than you worship God. You—that was really impressive. Yeah, answer is Seward's folly. Very good. Well, that was 2007, and that was Jeff Foxworthy. Nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ rolled out a similar format entitled, Are You Smarter Than a Rock? (laughs) I feel like this is maybe a game I could play, although you need to stop and think about that, because rocks have been around for a really long time. Are you smarter than a rock? is the uh, question implied by Jesus on that first day that he rode into Jerusalem. This is Palm Sunday. It's the day that the whole church around the world celebrates the reality that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey to give his life for our sins. It's a great celebration day. Palm Sunday. And on that day that he rode into Jerusalem, it was the height of the Feast of the Passover The streets would have been plugged with Jewish pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, the most important feast for them of all of them. It would have been the fulfillment of some of their lifetime dreams to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, because Jews celebrated the Passover wherever they were. But it would, would have been a lifetime dream to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover at the temple. And so I want you to just try to get your mind around the fevered pitch, the fevered emotional pitch that would have been going on in Jerusalem that day. There would have been thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that had overcome this town in order to celebrate the Passover together. Emotions would have been very high. And the disciples probably thought they were finally going to get what they had signed up and sacrificed for. By now, these disciples had figured out that the Jesus of Nazareth school of discipleship was different from the others. You know, they must have wondered why they were being picked, right? Why, since every other rabbi had passed them over and they were left to go tend their nets and collect taxes and such, they must have wondered, why did did he pick me? And then as the school rolled out for the first year, And the second year and the third year with Jesus, it became clear to them that this was a very different kind of person than any rabbi that they had ever seen. And they must have wondered, so what are we doing? And Jesus said, let them know, or the Father had revealed to them that he was the king, that Jesus was the king, and they they must have entertained thoughts that he was going to take over and he was going to reestablish the power of the Jews over these brutal Romans. And so imagine what these disciples would have been thinking that Jesus said, no, now it's time for me to go to Jerusalem. So many times before he had said, no, it's not my time to go to Jerusalem. My time has not yet come. And now he says, my time has come. So it would have been very tempting for them to think this is our chance. And what a great strategy for a coup, right? You've got the whole city plugged with these zealous Jews who had long awaited the coming of Messiah. And what if he came? This is a really good strategy for political overthrow, is it not? Wait until all the zealots are in the city. And then they must have just been thinking it's finally come. The Jews lived in this very tenuous kind of relationship with the Romans. It was a very delicate balance between the authority of the Romans and the religious authority that the Romans allowed the Jews to have. And so this thing was always this, this sort of dance between Roman authorities and Jewish authorities. And so how, how excited they must have been to think, okay, now we're going to go in and we're going to take over, we're going to kick them out. It was on that day, this Palm Sunday thing that we have come to call it, that in three of the four Gospels a new word is introduced to us and the word is Hosanna. And it comes from the Hebrew Hebrew word hoshana, which was a cry for salvation. And it was a word that was known to the Jews, and they would cry it out on the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles during a certain cycle of prayers that they would pray. And the word was a cry to God to come and save us, to come and save us, God. But it was also this acknowledgement that you're the only one who can save us. We get this. Hosanna! Hosanna, they would cry out. So it was not only a cry for salvation, but it was also a glorious celebration that God is the one who could save us. So it was a, it was a cry for help, and it was an exclamation of praise all at the same time. So imagine you're in, a, in some kind of an enemy concentration camp, and you've been living there, and you've been brutalized, and you've, had, you've been subject to their wishes, their standard of life. And imagine some very competent uh, patrol of soldiers comes in to set you free. And they come in and they overtake the guards. And they come in and they're standing there. And there you are having been in this concentration camp for who knows how long. Imagine what you would say to them. You would say both of these things. You would say, save me. Get me out of here, wouldn't you? But you would see their level of competence. And you would say, because you're the ones who can. You're the one I've been waiting for. And so it would be both both a cry for help and an exclamation of praise. And that's what it is with Jesus. We're born into this concentration camp, ruled by the devil, ruled by the enemy. And the things that happen to us and the things that we agree to participate in are part of this fallen world. And we have to live according to these evil standards that are around us by the fall. But Jesus Christ comes and he shows that he's both willing and competent to get us out. So what do you want to say to him? Hosanna! Try it. There you go. That wasn't hard. It's in your heart to cry Hosanna. It is in your heart to cry Hosanna. It is inside your heart to say, Lord, save me and praise you that you're the one who can. In your Bibles in Luke chapter 19, you'll see how this thing unfolds. In Luke chapter 19, It rolls out this way. I'll start in verse 28. This is the one of the four Gospels that doesn't include the word Hosanna. And I think it's probably because Luke uh, probably was writing to an audience that wouldn't have had the background for it. But in Luke chapter 19, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead and going up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethpage in Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus. Here's the Palm Sunday part. And they brought it to Jesus. And they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And some of the passages say that they cut palm branches down to honor Jesus. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is where they would have said, Hosanna. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now catch this, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Rebuke your disciples, they said. Stop this. This is going to get us in trouble. Hailing you as a king, as a conquering king. This is going to get us in trouble with the Romans. Rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. Stop. He says, Oh, vey, what good would that do? If they don't call out my praise, the rocks will cry out. Why will the rocks cry out? Why will the rocks cry out? Why will the rocks cry out? The rocks will cry out because it is the essential purpose of all creation to praise God. It is the essential purpose of all creation to praise God. That's why we were made. In Genesis, God made this, and he said, it's good. And God made that, and he said, it's good. And God made this, and he said, it's good. And God made us, and he said, "Hmm, I'm good. And the whole thing is created for a singular purpose so that the goodness of God can be reflected in a material way. And it's not just us. It's all creation. In Isaiah, the Bible says that the trees of the field will clap their hands. In Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, let's look at it. Let's read it together. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. See, all creation, the skies, the heavens, the, the, the earth, everything is speaking praise to God all the time. And so Jesus said, if these people shut up, the rocks will continue to praise me. The rocks will continue to praise me. It's not their voices. It's their existence that's praising me. And they're making, as the highest in the created order, they're making a decision as an act of their will to express the hosanna that's inside of them. Express the praise that's inside of them. And that's our purpose. That's our purpose. You wonder why you're here? What am I doing on this rock circling the sun? Lo, these many times. I've been around the sun 56 times. What are we doing on this planet? What are we doing here? We're here to praise God. The essential purpose of man is to give God praise, is to cry out aloud, hosanna. That it's inside of you as part of your created nature. And so you try to fulfill that sense of longing for purpose with this, with that, and you notice it just doesn't last, does it? It just sort of It just sort of insulates you for a while. And it could be anything. It could be drugs. It could be money. It could be success. It could be doing good. But inside of you, you know, the the purpose isn't fulfilled until we praise God because that's the purpose for which we are created. Which says that there's really a much better reason for coming to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life than simply missing hell for all of eternity. I mean, that ain't bad, right? (laughs) It's a good thing to know Jesus Christ so that we go to heaven after this, isn't it? But there's a better reason for knowing Jesus than that. And the better reason is so that we can fulfill our eternal destiny to cry out the loud hosanna that's inside of us, to give him praise, to fulfill your eternal destiny. Many, many people seem to respond to the gospel witness just so they don't have to go to hell later. That's why I joined up. I'm like, no, I don't want to go to hell. Who wants to do that? Many, many people respond to the gospel witness just so that they don't go to hell later. But Jesus said, I have come so that you may have life. Not just heaven, but that you may have life. There is something behind your salvation. There is something inside of of the assurance of your eternal destiny that's better than it. In fact, you need to get hold of it before you show up in heaven and see what's going on there. Was I absent for this class of giving praise to God? There's a better reason. And that's to experience the life that Jesus has. There's a better reason for coming to Christ than missing hell. And that's to experience the fullness of life. Crying out this loud praise, this loud hosanna that is inside of you to give. I think it's like, it must be like scuba diving. Now I have never scuba dove What would the past tense of that be? Scuba dived? I've never done it. But I think there would be two reasons to wear a self-contained underwater breathing apparatus, which is what scuba stands for. We all know that, right, fifth graders? (laughs) How many of you have ever scuba-done it? You have. That's very cool. I'm impressed. It must be, I think if I went down under the water, I would wear one of those just so that I wouldn't die. You know? (laughs) And I think I might just call it a good day if I just got back to the boat alive. But I think people who really scuba dive do it for a different reason. They just wear this, So that they can experience all that's down there. Things that I can't see. But things that I can't ever see, even if I'm underwater, if I'm. Are you feeling this? You see what I'm talking about? You need to know Jesus as your Savior so you don't die and go to hell. But that's not enough. That's not enough. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. He has placed inside of you a loud hosanna. And he said, if you don't say it, I'll take it from the rocks. So here's my question for you. Are you smarter than a rock? Sounds a little condescending, I know. But it's not meant that way, I don't think, by Jesus at all. I think it's just the opposite. He's like, hey, join the party that the rocks have been in for all this time. It's an invitation. It's not a condescension. It's an invitation to come out of the life that is keeping us from expressing this loud hosanna and fulfilling our eternal destiny. So can you hear the hosanna inside your heart? I mean... If you just dial down a little bit, can you say, there is one in there. There is a praise. There is a call to save me, yes. But it's also that expression of glorious confidence that you're the only one who can. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, by your mercy, by your grace, by your power, I pray now for your spirit to move in us so that we could... uh, we could release that Hosanna that is inside of us so that we could move from where we are and just, you know, either dying for lack of breath or just barely surviving by knowing Jesus to that full place of life and life abundance set free from the things that are killing us and living in the glorious reality of your presence of life. Thank you for loving us enough to make this way for us. And we pray now, Father, that as we just take a few minutes to worship you, that your Holy Spirit will come and release us. Release us into the place of uh, crying out this expression of Hosanna to you. Come, Father, for every person, wherever they are. If they're near to you, if they're far from you, it makes no difference to me. I'm just glad they're here, and I pray, Father, that you will meet them exactly where they are and draw them one step closer to you. In the name of Jesus.